You know, some church leaders have, have compared it to being you know, diabetic or an alcoholic or something, and, and uh, that's really not, uh, uh, not a fair comparison. Um, it would be like uh, talking to someone, say, who's heterosexual. It would be like saying, what if you were forced? What if your church and your society forced you to have affections for a man and you had no choice uh, you had to keep up that front. You had to have sexual relations with them. You had to enjoy it. Um, you know, and you you did that, and you were forced to do that for 25 years. And then you come to a point where you say, you know, this just isn't this just isn't right. There's it's wrong. It, it's it's a wrong uh, it's wrong to ask this of any human being. Uh, it's abusive to ask it. And to ask it of of myself, and that's uh, that's the best. I don't know the best comparison I can come up with, because it is uh, really is parallel. Uh, if you put, if you're to put yourself in that position. So here's here's one thing that you know I, I saw Brokeback Mountain. My wife and I saw it, and we loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's this movie where these these two guys. It isn't really clear in the movie whether they had had any. Um, gay relationships before they met, but they clearly are are off tending the sheep in in a summer, you know, in the mountains, and they and they have a relationship, and then wham bam, you know, uh, bef- you know after the summer's over, the year's over, the guys go and get married and have kids, and and they're able to be intimate with their wives, and and they have children. Um, it, it does show the anxiety and the sadness that they that they have, but they're able to. And one thing that I that that uh, I think our listeners would love to understand, and I don't know if there's an easy answer for this, but it, you know, I'm thinking I, I, if I were on the Kinsey scale, I, I'd probably be a zero. If 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 society told me, I I would tell myself this that if society were to tell me, John, you have to sleep with men and marry men and stay married to them over 25 years. I'm thinking I would either, you know, run away or kill myself, but I would, that would, I would physically not be capable of doing that. So if we turn that analogy back, how would you explain to somebody how you were able to do that 25 years? When, if we extend that same logic that you posed to me, I would feel like that would be something I'd be totally physically, emotionally, socially incapable of ever doing. Right, and I wasn't at that point. Um, and that's why I uh, have my my issues with the Kinsey scale, a sort of you know black and white view. Um, I, if you're to use that yardstick, uh, I certainly would fall somewhere in the middle because I was capable of it. Um, and... Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. And in the case of Brokeback Mountain, there's a good example. I mean, this started in uh, 1963 and went on for 20 years, and a lot changed in that 20 years. And uh, yeah, they were able to perform, but um, uh, even the quietest of them was divorced uh, within a few years, and was never able to find intimacy because he could never come to grips with who he was in the place in the place that he lived. It right. just wasn't thinkable. And the other one was in a place uh, in a more urban place, and he was able to um, to escape and hide. Uh, and he treated it in his own 
uh, sort of dysfunctional, dangerous way by slipping across the border into Mexico and and even eventually there at home. Um, it's implied that he was having you know, having relationships. So uh, it um, they didn't really win that. They both lost, and that's the that's the saddest part. I think of the, of the film and of the story, and um, that's that's kind of uh, what I am really glad I avoided. So it's not what I'm hearing is, you know, sexuality is clearly part of this, but but the dimension seems more to be about intimacy and joy than it is, you know, sexual stimulation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, I would say pretty much entirely, uh, uh, to me at least. Uh, I mean, how else do you explain people who uh, are older, for example, and don't uh, and uh, marry? They may marry for companionship, um, but there is no, you know, no sexual stimulation or interest there at all. Maybe perhaps. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of reasons people people form. Uh, their bonding and their pairing, and it isn't all about sex, certainly. And being gay is not uh, is not about sex. Believe me, any more than being married is all about sex, <laughs> or not, as the case may be. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's no different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you. And oh, go ahead. It's a diff- thing um, I think for a lot of Mormons to understand, because uh, the only way they can perceive of homosexuality is sex that's that's all they see and um, and that just uh, is a misconception it's who you bond with who you feel uh, that it's a person that you care about want to share your life about with want to make commitments want to take care of protect um, and spend your life with right so let's um Let's transition now to uh, post-marriage. What, what was life for you when you're, you're, you and your wife separated? Um, how did things progress? It, it, both both in your, your personal life, uh, socially, and also in the church, in parallel. Right. Well, they, they continued to run parallel. And um, uh, I immediately... Uh, and when I moved, I moved out of suburban Washington D.C. and into the city, so I could remain close to my family, but um, you know, within a few minutes, but still be, you know, out of the ward and stake and that kind of thing, so that uh, we could have our our lives. Um, and um, I immediately first week went to the district president. Uh, the District of Columbia was a, a missionary district at the time. And I had served uh, with him before as one of his counselors in a bishopric. And so he knew me well. And uh, I immediately went to him and I told him the situation. And um, he said, you know, the district really needs needs people like you who can work hard like you. Uh, and um, I will talk to your, your branch president and explain the situation and make it clear that you should just be left alone to to find uh, you know what you need to find you don't need to be hassled hmm. and uh, to his great credit he did that but he was a it's a really a, a great man the bishopric that I served with him in was in the District of Columbia when there was uh, a ward and 
uh, it was very welcoming ward and um, we counted one time uh, as we were trying to do some outreach uh, that there were 24 gay men in the elders quorum mm. that we knew of and so um, you know that started to color my thinking even back then that yeah maybe maybe this is possible I could see these people one of them was teaching gospel doctrine class and was a wonderful teacher and so um, uh, I, I came to it with that and I came to him and and um, and he was very understanding and he did speak with my branch president and I was always welcome um, I was uh, a bit leery and a bit, <laughs> you know, sort of burned out on lots of church service for a long time. And I was 49 years old at this point, I think, and, uh, yeah, 49. And I was not, um, I, I needed a bit of a rest. So I needed to be with my people, uh, my Mormon family, and needed to worship with them and, and sing the hymns with them and, and renew my covenants with them. But um, I didn't need to coach basketball quite yet. <laughs> right. So uh, I was very frank with the with the branch president, and uh, that's uh, that's basically the way it went for uh, a number of years. A new branch president came along, and I immediately went to him and explained the situation. He was even more understanding. Uh, because of some experiences in his professional life, and he um, uh, he was African American, and he said, "Hey, it took us a whole long time to have the priesthood, and I've gotten over it. Um, the church will just have to get over it eventually." So I I was really blessed. I had some great local leaders who were kind and, and accepting, and and not condescending, uh, who um, were really um, uh, very good to me, and uh, and so I was able to continue on um, and growing in the church, and I I didn't hold a, hold a calling, and uh, I just uh, sort of went to sacrament meeting, and uh, after a while I was going to sacrament meeting and then leaving, and uh, that's sort of the way it uh, it continued on for. Uh, for a long time until I, uh, you know, met my husband. I did, um, and I did develop some friendships. I tried, uh, I tried hard to uh, and and uh, to sort of fit in, um, but uh, it, it wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't my life at that point yet. I was still. Uh, I wasn't going to go through any sort of a gay adolescence or anything. So I, I still needed to. Uh, to uh, to calm a bit, I had been uh, in touch with Affirmation before. Uh, I had been in touch with um, tell, our fights, tell our listeners. Tell our listeners what those are. Cause Affirmation man. is uh, gay and lesbian Mormons. It's uh, sort of a support and educational organization uh, in support of of people who are who are Mormons or uh, of Mormon heritage, uh, men and women. And transgendered people also, and uh, Gamma Fights is uh, Gay Mormon Fathers. That's what the GA comes from, Gay, and the MO comes from Mormon and Fights. And of course, we're all Nephites, Lamanites, or Gamma Fights. So, 
We uh, they held retreats on weekends uh, occasionally, and and I went to several of those, and and got to know a lot of other uh, married or, or formerly married uh, LDS men, and found that my my story was um, was very much like their stories, and that uh, gave me more more confidence to uh, to feel like I could go. Uh, Go ahead and uh, and have a life, have a real life, even at that late point. <laughs> so that was um, that was my uh, really my my first contact with the gay community. Uh, also, there was a local. Uh, this is before the days of the uh, the hard internet, the big internet. There was a local electronic bulletin board. And uh, a gay bulletin board, and uh, I specifically was uh, a member because they had a a, uh, a section for uh, married gay men, uh, like a support section. And uh, that's uh, and that's where I sought advice uh, when I was coming out to my family, uh, and. Um, and then for that year afterward, trying to figure out how to negotiate all that, uh, it was through the help of of some friends in Affirmation and in Gamma Fights and the local bulletin board. And uh, it was through the local bulletin board, in fact, that I eventually met Mike. Your your husband. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was one of those uh, one of those odd things. He. Um, uh, discovered that he had dated a guy who was married and was kind of interested in, uh, you know, what all that dynamic was all about. And so he happened to be on, and uh, when I was asking for advice uh, and getting it, uh, he was one who who assured me that all would be well, that uh, he had seen it before, and that people would survive and I would survive. Uh, he was moving off. Um, he was living in, in Washington D.C., but his condo was for sale, and he was moving off to uh, the West Coast. So we didn't um, uh, really become really close friends or anything at that at that point. Uh, but we corresponded while he was gone, and uh, after I had had uh, uh, separated, and um, and. Sometime later, when things didn't work out the way he'd hoped in California, he moved back to a friend's place, and then months later, we uh, started uh, dating, and the rest is history. Right. Let me jump back real quick and ask one one question before we talk about your relationship with Mike and where it's led. What was it like? You, you come from an LDS family. Yes. Probably a conservative LDS family. Mm-hmm. Um uh, what was it like breaking the news to them? Really hard. Tell, um, tell us about that, if you don't mind. No. Um, my wife and I had chosen not to uh, for that period of time that we were uh, trying to work through it. And uh, we thought, you know, it's it, it doesn't involve them at this point, and why, you know, why get in, into the drama? And... Uh, so we went to family reunions and and uh, did all all that stuff, um, and uh, and they they didn't know they didn't have any clue at all, and 
uh, eventually, when we told them, when I told them was uh, when uh, just before we uh, we separated, and uh, I just let them all know. And uh, of course, each one has their their different reactions. Never what you expect. <laughs> right. You always overestimate or underestimate people. Uh, the ones that you think uh, be the most understanding often are not, and the ones you think that are the least tolerant often rally, and that was that was the case in in my situation. Hmm. Uh, but uh, in fact, one of my brothers who, who remains the least um, the least accepting, although he certainly is tolerant and puts up with me um, and is is kind. Uh, the first thing he said was, I knew when you started reading Sunstone, something like this would happen. <laughs> Without, uh, you know, a really funny reaction. But um, Here's a little shout-out to my buddy Dan Weatherspoon out there. Hey, Dan. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you've done. <laughs> and actually, I, I, I was a different kind of... Uh, I mean, I, I admit I was a, definitely a different kid growing up. I subscribed to Dialogue on my mission. Um, and has some of those first copies from the 60s. Back uh, when Elder Oaks was on the uh, editorial staff. Exactly, way back then. And uh, the first issue of Sunstone that came out, 70th Suppressed, all that, I was, uh, I ate it all up uh, right away. And That's back so when I, Mormon history was legitimate. New Mormon history was actually church-sponsored. It was church-sponsored and, and uh, appreciated and, and uh, encouraged. And it was a great time. It was a great time. Hmm. But yeah, my family um, at, at first uh, had a very hard time, but they, uh, my three brothers and my sister and my mother, um, all, uh, my father had passed away a few years earlier, and uh, but they all uh, said, you know, we may not understand, we may not be totally accepting, um, but we do love you, and that's something that won't change. Mm. And that that was really uh that was great. That gave me the hope that uh that that eventually um uh they might they might eventually come around. Mm. And it was a long process for some and uh and some um you know still have trouble with it. But I've never felt unloved uh or excluded. Right. So I'm, I'm there okay so tell us about uh falling in love and the contrast if there was one between what you thought life and intimacy was like and what you discovered it it could be and, and well, what effort that was so shocking was that um you know, when he walked in the room, I really did see the sparks, and I really did feel all that thing that I heard people talking about all that time, and uh, and I didn't get, I never got that, and and suddenly I did, and then I, I knew, uh, for sure that this was, uh, this was who I was, and uh, that I could, um, uh, I could develop a relationship, a real one, and feel really good about myself, and and uh, form a good bond. Hmm. So it was uh, it was an eye opener, I have to tell you. It was 
It was tremendous. Not to, uh, you know, not to negate my relationship before with my wife, which was uh, wonderful, but it was a different kind of relationship yeah, right. than, uh, than this. Yeah. So um, take, us, take us to the point where you decided to consummate your relationship in, in matrimony. Yeah, we uh, we did. Um, he, he was in Los Angeles, as I said, when I uh, when I moved out, uh, and uh, was uh, sort of feeling my way around. Um, eventually, uh, w but we did stay in touch uh, by email occasionally. And when he was having a really hard time uh, with a, a job and trying to find a job, uh, I. would grew up in Los Angeles, so I was giving him all the contacts I knew. I was giving him names of gamophytes who lived out there who were, might be able to, to talk to him and help him out. Uh, I was doing everything to help him out because it didn't really occur to me that, uh, uh, you know, there would be a, a, a future spouse there. He's Jewish, right? Yeah, he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so that, uh, but eventually... Um, it just, uh, he, it wasn't his home, and he knew his home and his friends were here, and uh, he missed them, and uh, they all missed him, and one of them even, uh, when he was running out of money, sent him a plane ticket to come back, and another put him up in his basement for as long as he wanted to while he found work here and got settled again. So he had some great friends here, uh, people that I didn't know at the time. Um, and they uh, rallied around him and helped him out. Uh, so he also was lucky to have, have some good friends. He knew he was gay his entire life and had come out uh, quite early uh, in his life. Um, he's uh, nine years younger than I am, and that difference in those nine years, I think, was, uh, was sort of tremendous uh, difference in time and in history. And he also comes from a tradition uh, which is more accepting, a uh, religious tradition which is more accepting. And um, so he uh, he didn't have as, as difficult a time of it as as I did. Um, but when we did, uh, we did meet up again after he got back, uh, after being home a while, and uh, I'd been out a while, and we... Uh, uh, we started um, going to dinner and talking and, you know, talking and talking and talking and doing all those things you do when you first date and seeing the things that, that mattered the most, uh, the most to us. And, and uh, it was really interesting um, to discover that uh, here was someone who spirituality was very important to him. Not necessarily what the spirituality was, but it had to be somebody who was spiritual, uh, who had a basis, a moral center uh, to him. And uh, that was very important to me, too. And um, he, because he had had, uh, uh, had known someone and found he was married and was not... Uh, not um, being you know true to his family and uh, was not taking care of his children, um, he uh, placed very high value on that and the fact that I had a good relationship with my wife and my daughter and was devoted to them that was very important to him and he he liked that. So uh, we found a lot of things uh, that we that we shared and that we cared about that were uh, a lot alike, um, and uh, eventually um, we. 
we would have uh, had it been possible for us we would have gotten married uh, right away uh, within weeks just like he did the first time right. uh, but that wasn't an option um, uh, eventually uh, uh, he did move in we shared um, my apartment um, and the and we were really excited when uh, uh, when uh, Massachusetts uh, passed a law to uh, allow marriages and, and that was in our plan and we were going to go up there and then of course the, uh, the in a twist of irony in a twist of irony by the Mormon governor um, Mitt Romney dragged, uh, an old uh, misogynation um, law and and would not issue would not allow them to issue marriage licenses to people who were not residents we had lots of people who offered us their residences and their addresses and their vacation homes there to establish residencies so we could, but we just didn't feel right about that. Uh, we wanted to be married and be married uh, um, yeah, real. Uh, so uh, as soon as it became uh, legal in a couple of provinces in Canada, we, we started making plans uh, right away and went through all the paperwork and all the hassles to do it from afar. and. And eventually, uh, we're able to to uh, get it all cleared and and go up to Toronto and, and get married. Hmm. How, how was Mike, the How was the ceremony? It was great. Mike's parents were there. They're very supportive. They uh, adore me, and I think they're great. Uh, they're big P flag parents in in South Florida, and have always been very supportive of, of Mike. And did you um, say P flag? Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Parents and friends of gay and, les gays and lesbians. It's oh. uh, it's a family organization for support organization for uh, uh, for people who have family and friends who are gay or lesbian. Hmm. And they um, they've been very uh, active in in uh, civil rights and equal rights for uh, for gays and lesbians. Right. And so that's been really. Uh, really helpful, and he has uh, three sisters, and they also and their families have been great. So, I have extra nieces and our nieces and nephews, and and uh, and it's uh, it's really great. I was accepted right away. Was any of your family? Um, did any of your family attend the wedding? No, they weren't able to. Uh, my uh, daughter actually had been married just a few months earlier. And uh, everybody had, had uh, uh, trekked all the way out to Washington D.C. for the wedding, and uh, and I knew that it would be difficult for them. I didn't want to put any pressure on them. And were you were you able to attend her wedding? I w I was not able to attend it in the temple, mm. uh, but uh, I you know did the reception, everything, uh, handled it all, uh, and. Um, uh, took care of all of all of those details, and uh, my degrees were in theater and film design, and so she always wanted me to make her wedding dress. So I even made a wedding dress for for the temple. How do you keep from just being devastated that you can't attend your daughter's wedding? Uh, it was hard, but I, I knew I'd known for years that I wouldn't be able to, and I just accepted it. It was. It was nobody's fault. It's just the way. It's just the way things are. You weren't angry. You weren't. 
you know, oh, screaming I, at the world. I wasn't bitter. Uh, I've never been one to, you know, to blame the world for things that go wrong uh, like that. You know, it's just, um, it's, um, it's, this is my life, uh, and uh, I, I have a spiritual life and uh, beliefs, and I respect um, the organization and it's, uh, the fact that it has its, uh, its rules, and there's no point in being bitter about it. I, I mean, it wouldn't gain anybody anything. Yeah. And certainly not make it any easier for her. Right. And I cared more about uh, about her and about my wife and uh, the rest of the family than than trying to you know make some sort of big deal about it that wouldn't do anybody any good. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. I I can't say that I would have been as a as mature or had as good of a perspective as you did. Uh, it was hard. I, I don't mean to say it wasn't uh, it wasn't difficult, but I had friends who uh, I had a couple of friends who flew off from Utah and and uh, Idaho and places just to sit outside the temple with us, mm. Mike and I, uh, and that meant a great deal to me. And and people like that uh, in our lives uh, really enrich us and and give us the strength to do the hard things we've got to do. Mm. But being married up there was was great. Um, it was uh, because we're of different faiths. Of course, no Mormon bishop would uh, marry us. We knew that, and a rabbi would not uh, would not marry us. Um, uh, generally, this is a reformed rabbi, but we we felt that that would be disingenuous too, and so we wanted a um, uh, a spiritual. Uh, spiritually based um, wedding, but definitely civil, a civil marriage, and that's uh, that's what we had, and it was um, uh, it was held there at the uh, city hall in Toronto, Ontario, and his parents were stood as our witnesses, and we had a number of other friends uh, who were there also. Uh, tell me again, who performed the ceremony? Um, he was a, a minister. They have, you know, their ministers or judges, retired judges on call. And it's, uh, when you get married there, it's you either bring somebody with you or it's whoever's on duty. And it was the one who was on duty. And what, was he of a particular denomination? Was. I don't recall okay. right now. That's fine. Um, uh, but he was, it was a great, uh, a great experience. I'd been married and I know what being married is like, even though it's a different kind of marriage. But for Mike, it was, uh, uh, he, he speaks of it the way, um, the way marriage is. You know, you put that ring on and, and the world changes. You know, you see things differently and your relationship changes no matter how well you know somebody. And, and uh, all, of, all of that is, is changed uh, very quickly. So, Marriage has been great, and especially great for him and, and great for me. Hmm. So, um, all this time you were still attending sacrament meeting at least occasionally. Yeah, yeah, most of the time. Mm -hmm. and, and after your marriage even, did your ecclesiastical leader find out about the marriage? And uh, I don't. No, actually, uh, at, at that time, um, but uh, 
well, certainly he knew about it because uh, they had been in our home, and we had home teachers all that time. The missionaries came by all the time. Uh, we were there's their bathroom and water stop along the way. I worked at home for an, uh, a number of a uh, couple of years doing freelance work, and so I was always the one in the middle of the day who got the missionaries visiting. And uh, so certainly, and we had home teachers and. Um, and uh, there was never any any secret about it. We had wedding pictures up all over. We sent out wedding announcements, uh, and uh, and it was in the paper, in the local newspaper. Uh, but you you weren't at this point having interviews with your bishop or becoming <laughs> no. buddies with your your ecclesiastical leader. They uh, certainly they knew, and uh, and you know we would meet and talk in the halls and just the normal stuff you would do with your with your bishop. Um, general conference or, or uh, state conference coming. I go to state conference and uh, just uh, you know, like everybody else. And you yeah, weren't the know. only person. Were, were there other people that you knew who were in committed gay relationships that also attended church regularly? No, not that I knew of, actually. So in that uh, in that element, you were sort of uh, an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. The the ones that I have met, uh, even to this uh, to this point, most of them, um, uh, they've they really been damaged somewhere along the way. Uh, they've had some horrible experiences, and uh, they uh, just really some of them have been mistreated, or some of them just really felt unwelcome, uh, been condescended to, or treated badly, and and they just haven't had. Uh, it just hasn't happened to them in a way that they could cope and and uh, and move on. There's one uh, uh, one couple here in the uh, in the affirmation group. Uh, it's a, a committed couple, and his parents uh, back in Utah uh, kept calling the stake president, kept calling, calling, saying, you know, our son is gay. You have to do something about it. You have to do something about it. And so finally, uh, you know, the stake president said, okay, and called the disciplinary council and excommunicated him. So the parents um, were begging that their child be excommunicated. They were demanding that uh that this happen. And and so that's the kind of um that's the kind of experiences and things a lot of people have. Uh it's really um it, it's really hard on them and and so uh, most of the ones I knew were were really bitter or uh, uh or defensive or or just lost hope. So their connection with Mormonism was definitely more of a cultural kind of connection and uh, more of a sense of fellowship with people who understood their background. Mm. But it wasn't a spiritual connection. Right. Okay. And so what? Uh, how did this all come to a head? Well, um, a couple of lives, I, I uh, go to an inner city branch here in Washington, and uh, it's very diverse and interesting. And there are several others. Two of them were combined and uh, made into a ward. And a bishop brought in from, uh, I don't know if he was from the other branch, because I didn't know him, um, or if he was brought in from the suburbs, which happens a lot here, you know, inner city people don't know how to do things right, so they have to ship somebody from the outside in. And uh, so they brought this guy in, and he was a little um, overzealous, I guess. Within a couple of weeks, he had called me in and uh, and was um, 
was uh, asking me, you know, what's your story and what's going on and, and on and on. And so, like all the others, I just told him. I said, I'm, I'm here. I'm married. Uh, I've been married for some time, and here's where we live. And you're welcome to stop by. Mm. He and his wife continue to be our home teachers, but he felt uh, uh, the necessity to talk to the state president uh, right then. And uh, soon thereafter, the state president called me, and uh, that's sort of where it all started. So up. Uh would you characterize your the understanding you had with your former ecclesiastical leader as a don't ask don't tell sort of agreement where yeah, you would that's exactly what it was and we even characterized it as that um my my last branch president before the combining uh in fact had come from a background that was a military background uh, and he uh, and he referred to it as a don't ask, don't tell policy. And, and so, what so was the, what do you what was the understanding that you? I was ask for recommend. I don't ask for a calling in the ward, and he doesn't ask many questions. And I serve uh, however I can. I purposely kept a low profile because I just did not want to, uh, you know, to make anybody uncomfortable or embarrassed or anything. Uh, I. I mean, Mike and I were on a panel of mixed religious couples at a Sunstone Symposium out here. It wasn't like I was hiding. Uh, I had a lot of friends in other wards uh, who knew me when I was married and uh, continue to be friends. And we invited us both to their kids' wedding receptions and we went out to dinner movies with them. And so um, it, there certainly was no secret going on uh, sure. by any means. But I, I did try out of respect respect for not wanting to put anybody in a in a bad position i i did try to just kind of um serve uh in the ways that i could serve i did things like anonymously i would buy um uh buy subscriptions to magazines for new converts you know and have them sent to them and anonymously buy him books to replace the ones that were disintegrating in the branch and just have them delivered um, did you know the things that I could, and of course, you know, donated and um, and that kind of thing. But I, I, you know, I just served in the ways that I felt like I could in the ward, and then in the community too, to make up for all those other things that I couldn't do in the church. As as I as I think about your experience, I feel a lot of parallels to my experience in discovering New Mormon history. Um, but trying to stay. And, you yeah. know, I've really struggled with, you know, if I hear a talk that enrages me, or enrages me or that's historically inaccurate, or if I'm in elders quorum or Sunday school and people say something that's inaccurate or false or misleading, I have to fight this incredible urge, and I almost always lose, to 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 scream out and to set things straight and to try and be an advocate for deeper understanding. And I all, almost always regret that I speak up because I always end up feeling dirty and I feel um, sad and I feel like I just ruined everybody's day. And I'm trying yeah. to imagine how you, I, I'm sure you, you would hear disparaging yeah, and I, things and, and stuff. How did you deal with that? 
And that's that's really why I only attended sacrament meeting because those things didn't happen in sacrament meetings often, especially in my branches. They um, they happen in priesthood meetings and in Sunday school and and places like that. People feel more free to say things that they might not otherwise. And I just um, after a few of those, um, you know, I just couldn't. Uh, uh, I I just didn't feel like I wanted to subject myself to that and I couldn't lash out in that way because it would be really I mean it would be dangerous and uh, I would run the risk of upsetting the balance that I had for all these years uh, in being able to maintain um, my membership and my my spiritual level and uh, and I didn't want to do that and it wasn't worth risking that what but, about yeah what about fighting, the urges to fight for truth and honor and justice and all those idealistically dangerous things? Uh, it, it's extremely hard. And so, um, and that's kind of uh, the situation I'm in now, and that's what's finally uh, finally brought this about, is, uh, is exactly that issue. And just tell us, do you have one or two really brief stories, just so we can discourage things like this from ever happening again? Do you have a story or two of a statement that was made in your presence or things that were said that really caught yeah. you off guard or made you feel sad? It's like, um, uh, you know, those people who think they're gay but really aren't um, or, you know, the so-called gays or the so-called intellectuals, you know, you've heard all that. Yeah. Um, those people that know it all, you know, I mean, you've heard that equivalent in uh in meetings, and we'd hear the same thing. Um, normal relationships, for example, and here I'm in an inner city ward that with people from all over the world uh, struggling, most of them just to try and speak the language, uh, many from Africa and from all over, and um, and hardly anybody was in an actual normal family. Um, I don't think I knew two families that had uh, a husband and a wife and children, and so um, it was so absurd to hear that uh, hear that priest all the time. And then my family was not normal, uh, but somehow um, everybody else's families were normal. Uh, so it it made it made no sense. Uh, right. it made no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I pitied um, sometimes, um, or or as Elder Oak says, it's like the, you know, the alcoholic, uh, or someone with uh, diabetes. They, uh, you know, they just have this hard thing they have to do in their life. But, um, uh, but, just because you're an alcoholic doesn't mean you have to drink, you know. Um, so uh, that kind of um, sort of condescension, uh, or things like, um, you know, the homosexual agenda. Uh, or the homosexual lifestyle, that that kind of thing. Uh, but the people don't even realize sometimes how offensive that kind of thing is. Right. Uh, I mean, like my homosexual agenda, it's you know, <laughs> going coming home from work, doing the laundry, <laughs> making dinner. You know, one of us does the dishes. Uh, uh, that's the agenda. <laughs> Everybody's agenda. And uh, my lifestyle is no more different than anybody else's. The lifestyle is what kind of car you drive, I think, and what sort of furniture you surround yourself with, and and whether you jog or not. It's not uh, 
you wouldn't say a heterosexual lifestyle. Uh, so it's um, th that kind of thing. Uh, you know, over the years, it's kind of grates on on you. Uh, you know, grated on me and, and made me realize that they just you know nobody's going to get it, and uh, and there was no point in it. I had nothing on my side. It wasn't like I had. Uh, I was going to argue the scriptures with it, uh, over it. Uh, so um, uh, I just went into avoidance mode, and and I think uh, that was probably what uh, what allowed me to continue to survive and thrive. The depth of your dreams, the height of your wishes.